Ari Rizamam here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about bells and whistles that could really help out a 401k plan at almost no cost, uh, probably just the cost of an amendment. Um, but of course, first things first, um, that 401k conference, Seattle, September the 9th, we will, I mean, it's really creeping, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, before you know it, it'll be August, and before August is over, You'll be thinking about September. We will be in Seattle at T-Mobile Park. Really looking forward to that event. Should be uh, a lot of fun. We got Braves, uh, Mariners tickets. Larry is going to have to get back to me on what our get, who our guest will be for Seattle. Event November 18th, we'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina, Bank of America Stadium, home of the Carolina Panthers. Really looking forward to that event. That's something that I've been thinking about, you know, uh, for quite some time. That was one of the Events we were going to do in 2021 never really got off the ground, obviously, because of COVID. And, um, you know, before we know it, September, we'll have the uh, schedules for the 2023 season and see where we're going to go. Probably try to do a Midwest swing of Milwaukee, Detroit, Cincinnati. We'll see. I don't know. Um, and we could go back to Dallas. Texas Rangers have a new ballpark. So we'll, we'll look uh, towards that and see what fits and See how it goes for 2023 and 2024. Um, you know, I remember in 2019, we did nine events, and I don't think that's ever going to happen again uh, for one reason or another. Um, obviously, one of the biggest reasons is COVID. Um, I'm still convinced that, uh, you know, people maybe disagree with me, but I believe that no matter... One day, we won't have so many variants and whatnot, but I think that ultimately... There's a portion of the audience that, quite honestly, when it comes to, you know, not just my events, but obviously, you know, the larger, um, you know, larger events out there, there's going to be a portion of the audience that is never going to come back. Uh, that, you know, just doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's PTSD, but there'll be just a portion of that live audience that just will not come back because of COVID. Just the cutback in travel. I just see that. You know, as a side, again, uh, my wife started a new job. She uh, negotiated that she would be home three days a week to work from home. And, you know, that's just, again, that's after COVID, that's something that's going to be in place. And, um, you know, employers that are not a fle flexible, especially with attorneys, um, they'll be a disadvantage if they require people to be in the office five days a week. But go to that 4 com for further information on all our live events. Uh, pretty soon we'll have information about the virtual conference that we'll do again in January. It's always a lot of fun. Two days, you don't have to go anywhere. Um, and we're going to do, a, you know, really some interesting pricing to attend, really have people sign up, probably just charge them a couple of bucks. I mean, literally a couple of bucks. That's something that I'm working on. Uh, keep it, you know, live format, bring in some interesting uh presenters and whatnot. So uh, let's get to the topic at hand, which is bells and whistles that can add to a 401k plan at almost no cost. Uh, you know, they always say, like, for example, in a suit, uh, you you have a, you know, old suit, let's say, obviously nothing, not something out of the 70s, but, you know, something, you know, you haven't worn in five, six years. A, a new tie can, you know, freshen it up. Uh you know, sanding and staining to a floor, a wood floor can, you know, spruce things up. So, 
a 401k plan sponsor can certainly spruce things up, spice things up, freshen things up by some, you know, adding some different features to a retirement plan. And um, I mean, first things first is Roth 401k feature. Um, right now, I have a local TPA, very small place. Um, I'm the guy who's restating their plan documents. And of course, with the de de deadline of July 31st, they, of course, you know, wait till July for me to knock out 25 plan documents. And I think I'm about midway through. What's um, interesting, actually, I don't think I'll get to 25 plan documents or 27. He has a couple, he has a couple of advisors who are yanking plans because they want him to do the restatement for free. He can't do the restatement for free because I can't do the restatement for free. But in the midst of restating these plan documents, you notice there are still plans out there that don't have that Roth 401k feature. And of course, for those that know, um, I'm a big fan of the Roth 401k feature, giving people the opportunity to defer on an after-tax basis. I wish I could do that in my solo, and I can't. Uh, so it's it's certainly interesting um, that feature um, where um, people can certainly um, defer on an after-tax basis. I mean, it makes so much sense for the people that could afford it. I'm looking at highly compensated employees who could certainly afford it. And obviously somebody with a time horizon where giving up that tax deferral um, is outweighed by the tax-free treatment for the Roth feature. I remember when it was first proposed, I want to say in 99 before 2001, it got adopted. And I thought that that was a great feature. I think the Roth IRA is one of the greatest features. And it's great to be able to partake in it again after many years where I could not for one financial reason or another. But the Roth 401k feature, maybe my wife could do it. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it's just a great benefit. doesn't really uh, hurt the employer whatsoever in offering it. Participants have the right to choose. It doesn't affect the ADP test because it's treated the same as a, uh, a um, pre-tax deferral. Um, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, my only caution was always with the Roth. IRA and the Roth 401k is right now the government has agreed to allow for the tax-free treatment but in the future you never know uh, government can't be trusted with our money in terms of taxes and whatnot and, you know there was always a fear that they would renege on it um, that hasn't happened Roth IRAs have been around for 24 years now so I don't see that happening with Roth 401ks you make an agreement with the government pay the taxes up front you should be treated tax-free and uh, again for the five <laughs> the joke is for the five people that can afford it in this day and age I think it's a boon obviously uh, those highly compensated employees who might get uh, taken out of the Roth um, IRA because they, their AGI is just too much uh, it's a great opportunity for them so I just I just think it's a it's a big 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 win for everybody just to offer it and I'm just still surprised there are you know, still quite a few plans that don't offer it. Number one, the automatic enrollment. Uh, I've talked about it a lot. 
when I first found about automatic enrollment, it wasn't part of the Internal Revenue Code. It was part of some, I want to say, revenue ruling. Uh, it was an IRS decision. I want to say it was in 98 or 99 when somebody, I think it was a fast food restaurant chain that, fast food restaurant that added it. When it was negative election, I was against it. Thought it was something out of communist Russia. What do you mean you're taking 3% out of a participant's paycheck because they didn't affirmatively you know, opt out? It was really what they called a negative election. Now, the problem I had with it not was, you know, I said this is something out of the, the Soviet Union. My problem wasn't that they were withholding the money. The problem was that there was no fiduciary protection, so the money was parked in uh, money market accounts. And even then, in the late 90s, we still had very, very low interest rates. We've had low interest rates for 30-some-odd years now. And once they added it um, as part of PPA and this Pension Protection Act, and they gave the QDI protection, then I was no longer against it. And it was something that I was pushing. Um, you know... It, it reminds me of something when, you know, a buddy of mine, Ron Neering, who, you know, years ago, I met him with the College Republicans at Stony Brook, and he had a great saying where it's like, you know, get people involved at the get-go from day one. Get them involved. Get them interested and then get them involved. And that's how I see automatic enrollment. You could be people automatically enrolled, um, auto-escalation, whatever it is. And if the plan providers are doing a good job, the TPAs and the financial advisors, then it would be a great opportunity for them to get actively involved. And I think that that, you know, I haven't seen any studies, but I would assume that automatic enrollment actually does spur an increase in active and willing participation. You know, the automatic enrollment are not really willing participants. They're just too lazy to opt out. But I think it's a big deal. Um, you know, I, I think it's a positive addition. You know, sure, it artificially increases the plan deferral participation for, um, you know, non-highlies, but it makes the statement, in my opinion, that the employer really cares about the participants and saving for the retirement. I think it's a positive message. And again, if the plan providers are doing the job, I think people will actually get actively uh to participate on their own so they don't have to tick the QDIA. They can, you know, actively invest on their own. Next on my list, this is the one where it's a little controversial, just my two cents. Eliminating the eligibility requirements for salad deferrals. I know it's unpopular. Uh, I like immediate eligibility for deferrals. Um, as somebody who was a former employee once and someone who's married to an employee at another firm, not at my firm, I will say that a waiting period for salary deferrals is not a positive thing if you're trying to recruit employees, in my opinion. Um, I know that, you know, plans don't want to have it because it creates more participants quickly. It may lead to an audit requirement, a hundred more participants and whatnot. But the one thing I always hear is, oh, the small account balances, you know, because there's two, this huge turnover. If there's a huge turnover in your business, the problem isn't the 401k plan. The problem is something else. Again, I work for an employer 
a TPA where I joked that uh, our front door should be a revolving door. But it, what was that saying? Was it saying, uh, oh, uh, it's the 401k plan's fault? No, it's our fault. We can't keep hand of, uh, hold of our employees or hiring people that aren't very, very good. Um, I just think that, you know, again, if I ever get back to the workforce, a bit, I, I, I can never see myself being someone's employee again. Uh, that's uh, that's just not going to happen. It's 12 years now, and sometimes you get you get you get calls from recruiters. Oh, we'll make you a partner at some firm. I'm like you know what? I'm at that stage of my life where it's just not going to work out anymore. My my, I I think that when you're on your own, you get used to it, and you know uh, there are two types of people out there: people who are who will always be employees of somebody else, and people who are just not fit for that. And, you know, my wife was the person who just never wanted to go out on her own. And, you know, she wanted to work for somebody. She doesn't understand why I would want to be on my own. But, you know, you're used to it. You know, uh, as soon as I finish this broadcast, uh, you know, I'm going to go for a half hour and, and hit some golf balls because I can um, and take advantage of this warm weather. But if I did go back and, and work for somebody else and they said it's a one-year waiting period, well, that's a big strike against them. I want to be able to defer as quickly as I start. And, yeah, it creates a lot of participants more so. But, again, uh, from a standpoint of discrimination testing, you still can test your plan as 21 and 1. For the salary deferral component of the plan, notice I never said that you should have immediate eligibility for profit sharing and matching contributions. Because, again, that's that's different. That's money coming out of the uh, plan sponsor's pocketbook. And so that's not something that I would recommend. But to me, um, you know, employers often forget that a 401k plan is an actual employee benefit. And to me, an immediate eligibility for salary deferrals is a great benefit that, you know, could, could really get somebody uh, to join you. And, uh, you know, that one-year wait uh, is, is not conducive to employee recruitment retention. Just my two cents. Next, reviewing the investment selection process. Obviously, ERISA 404C requires the plan sponsor to have you know, a process in place to uh, pick uh, plan investments. Um, I always tell that running joke, which was reality, where you know I work for a law firm, and they didn't review the funds for a 10-year period, and I got them... Uh, squared away to, to put in a process and of course the running joke was that I recommended them to hire advisors and they didn't pick the advisor that I you know they didn't pick any of the advisors that I had recommended uh, but uh, that's uh, that's all about control and and not uh, a representation of my recommendations next pruning an ex excessive fun lineup You've seen plans, 28, 50 mutual funds. You've seen plan. I've seen plans. I think the most I've ever seen is 69 investment options. Um, studies have shown that too many uh, funds in a lineup actually decreases uh, deferrals um, in terms of participation, active participation in the plan. And people think more is more, but you don't need four large cap growth funds. Um, too many fund, too many funds and investment lineup decreases participation because what it does is it creates paralysis, creates confusion. Too many choices overwhelms 
plan participants who are often the least sophisticated type investor. So, you know, uh, plan sponsors don't realize that. You know, less is more. More is not more, especially when it comes to investment lineups. And uh, I think that if you're a plan provider and you see a plan sponsor with, you know, too many investments uh, to me that that's a, that's a sick plan uh, that's something where they have an advisor who doesn't know what the heck they're doing I think uh, any good advisor will tell you you get out of a certain amount 12 to 18 um, and I, I think 18 is too many my opinion but it's just a it's just a sign of a sick plan it's a sign of a sick plan because obviously you have an advisor who just doesn't understand the concept that uh, overwhelming plan participants is not going to help uh, participation. Obviously, next on my list, review plan fees. Um, obviously, that's something that you know we could talk about it till the end of time. I mean, July first just passed, and I believe that was the tenth anniversary of fee disclosure regulations. I. Been around for almost 24 years now, September 8th, uh, the day I fly into Seattle, I guess. I got to book those flights. Um, I had, you know, 24 years in this business now, 14 started out with, with no fee disclosure. And I mean, it was such a crazy idea that reminds me of the movie Casino, where they talk about the fact that if you own the hotel casino, you are not, you are not allowed in the count room. I don't, I don't know if that's the rule anymore, but in the movie Casino, they made a big deal about it. Can you imagine that crap? You know, we can't even be in our own count room. And it reminds me that plan sponsors, while they had a fiduciary duty to only pay reasonable plan expenses, it meant that there was no requirement of their plan providers to provide them with information on how much they were actually charging the plan. So plan sponsors had this duty but they had plan providers that didn't have a duty to tell them how much they were charging. I mean, what other business was there? Um, probably the only business else I know is probably the medical profession where, you know, they charge your insurance and you really don't know how much you're getting for it. But, you know, you're just paying for the insurance. I guess if you did have a, uh, a bare bones policy with a high deductible, then, you know, maybe obviously then you would know. But if you're like me and you have a pretty good insurance plan and there is no deductible, then uh, you really don't know how much, you know, your provider is charging. Um, you know, I don't know how much my um, annual exam cost. Um, but the retirement plan industry, I mean, it was just, it was just, it was just crazy. And when providers like me, uh, the risk attorney like me, and other financial advisors and even TPAs who believe in transparency, we were attacked by pushing for fee disclosure regulations. You know, we were we were considered haters in this business. We had, uh, I don't want to name names, but there was an industry leader, one of those industry associations, which I think has been absorbed by the ARA uh, now, but it was a guy who was the industry spokesperson and he was awful at his job because he was just a, an apologist for the plan providers that uh, fought against fee transparency. Um, again, if a, if your clients have a duty to pay only reasonable plan expenses, how could you stand in the way of them doing their job? And that's what really happened prior to the fee disclosure regulations. And again, um, 
again, went off on the tangent, but obviously plan sponsors have that duty to review plan fees. Um, you don't know how much you're getting charged until you see what else is out there in the marketplace. Again, uh, I had so many issues over the years with uh, uh, contractors, but there was one contractor that we used for multiple projects, uh, bathroom work, and expansion of the house and we didn't know how much how expensive they were until we had to get rid of them because uh, they tried to put us over the barrel after the hurricane and tried to extract a lot of money for a little work um, then we realized that we were paying too much but that was on us that's that's our problem but when you're a plan sponsor as a plan fiduciary you don't have that luxury you have to only pay reasonable plan expenses and one of the ways to do that is benchmark the fees that you get use the 401k averages book you could go to other plan providers you have to do something in order to determine whether the fees are reasonable or not um, next on the list completing an annual review um, you know retirement plans are like automobiles they need constant maintenance to run to their optimum capability uh, right now I still drive a 2012 Prius V uh, the hurt the end of October will be my 10th anniversary of getting the car my previous Prius died in the hurricane, Hurricane Sandy. Um, you know, I'm pretty good with maintaining that car. It's got 135,000 miles. I wanna, I want it to last another 18 months, two years. Hopefully, I'll get it. I hear now it's crazy to buy a car. Just had a friend, a uh, friend of the show, Dan Venturi. Um, you know, he was trying to buy a new car, and you know, he's telling me the crazy prices that you know people are trying to get above sticker. Uh, I mean, who paves above sticker? Now they do, thanks to inflation. Uh, car prices are uh, in the demand, obviously, the supply chain issues. It's crazy. Um, so, you know, I've been able to maintain a car for 10 years now. And the other thing about the car that I laugh about is my car is 10 years old. And growing up as a kid cars that were 10 years old in those days in the 70s and early 80s i mean they, those cars really didn't exist after like four or five years you had some major calamities with your car i remember my parents had a 77 mercury monarch green uh green mercury monarch and it was a coupe not a sedan so there were only two it was only a two-door car they got that they got the car from my aunt and um after about five years the car needed a new alternator and it was just amazing how cars just didn't last. After three to five years, they would just kind of fall apart. You needed to replace the belts and the hoses and whatnot. And and obviously these days, uh, our cars are a lot better. But 401k plans should be reviewed annually to determine whether the fees being charged are reasonable, whether the investments are still working, uh, whether the plan still fits the needs of plan sponsors and participants. As well as determining whether the plan document and the plan's administration is in compliance with the rest of the Internal Revenue Code. Too often, plan sponsors have absolutely no idea what's going on. It's because they didn't review their plan. It's not running to optimum condition like my car is now. You know, I just a few months back, I, I had to put in a new suspension system. Um, you know, the, the struts and shocks and whatnot. But the car is, you know, almost as good as new. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's important for plan sponsors to take care of their plan. Uh, if they don't, um, again, we usually find these errors on a plan audit by the government. 
or on a change of TPAs, and they could get cost prohibitive if there was a screw up on the compliance side, and there's some you know testing that needs to be involved or whatnot. We just had that now. Had to provide a client opinion for you know a, a plan sponsor that you know the testing for uh, coverage was done incorrectly for so many years, and what are we going to do? It's not a lot of fun to figure out what happened when the error has been going on for 20 years or more. Um, last but not least, and again, going back to that old law firm plan, it's make sure participants get education or advice. Again, um, ERISA 404C is not a suicide pact. It's not all or nothing in terms of liability protection for the plan sponsor. Plan sponsor only has as much protection as much as, you know, they... Uh, fulfill the fiduciary process, and one of the elements of a fiduciary process on the RISA 404C is to make sure the plan participants get enough information to make, um, you know, sound to make investment decisions. And you know, and my old law firm giving us Morningstar profile wasn't going to help us do the trick for funds that were, you know, ten years too long in the plan. So it's important to do that. And quite honestly, a lot of plan sponsors just don't do that. And they're subjecting themselves to, you know, potential liability. You have a choppy stock market right now. It's been going up. So it's obviously important for plan participants to get the education or advice, um, you know, as, as part of a... I wouldn't say well-balanced breakfast, but obviously well-balanced former K plan. Obviously, um, it's important to bring in the advisor for enrollment education meetings. Plan sponsors simply can't just you know say forget it. I, I have no time. It's important to them that the advisor that they hire and they pay do their job. And so that's really something that's extremely important. Um, and, and that's it for this week's episode. And of course, go to that foreigncasesite.com for further information on all our events. Charlotte, the sign-up will be up soon, within the next week, as well as the sign-up for the National Virtual Conference in 2023, last Thursday and Friday in January. Hope you could be part of that. And um, again, like I said, hope to see you guys next week for another episode of that 401k podcast. Take care. Bye.